Hi. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On tonight's episode, you'll hear from Winnipeg Blue Bombers quarterback Matt Nichols down at Bomber Training Camp. He talks to Bob Irving about how much playing time he expects to see in the preseason game Friday. We also head to Toronto to talk to Global Toronto sports anchor Rob Leff as the Toronto Raptors making history going to the NBA final. What's it like in that city right now? And we also talked to Lee Hextall about the signing of Laurent Brassois and what Canada can learn from Finland's success on the world stage. That's on the podcast. Today, Bob Irving spoke with Matt Nichols, quarterback of your Bombers, about his playing time in the upcoming preseason games. So the age-old question is how much should the number one quarterback play in the preseason? Let's do the 2019 version of this. How much do you think you should play or would you like to play? I actually haven't even thought about it yet. Uh, usually I do think about it a little more in advance. Uh, for some reason, I haven't thought much about it this year. You know, usually, you know, OSHA, OSHA does an awesome job of just kind of, you know, making sure I get kind of what I need. And, uh, you know, obviously for sure, you know, feeling a start, uh, you know, is important. And, and feel, you know, throwing the ball a little bit with some uh, some adrenaline. And, um, you know, I think it just depends on, you know, the flow of the game. You know, you get a couple good drives early, uh, you know, and get out earlier. But if, you know, couple stalled drives or they're hanging on the ball for a little bit and you know it could be halfway through the second quarter you feel like you haven't been on the field very much and so to me it's not so much of you know I need to play a half or I need to play a quarter it's you know, I would love to just go in and get a couple good rhythm drives going and and get that feel and and you know watch the young guys do their thing and um so that's that's usually kind of the plan going into it but again I'll, you know I'll discuss that with the here and probably the next couple days so if you played a quarter and a half on Friday and didn't play in Regina next week, would that be okay with you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's uh, that was the plan last year. Um, you know, I had gotten hurt anyways and, and didn't play in the second preseason game, but I wasn't planning on playing that one anyways. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of status quo, it seems, you know, these days. And um, it is a long season, so you also don't want to go in and you know, take too many hits before the season even gets going. And so, uh, you know, for me, like I said, it's just go in, get the feel for the game, um, you know, I've been playing football long enough that you know you just kind of need to need that adrenaline feeling again, and, and uh, you know kind of get that under control before week one. And Mike takes your input on that, doesn't he? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think he takes you know players' input on a lot of things, and you know that's why guys love playing for him. I mean, he he kind of does what's best for us, and not um, you know not just you know affirm my way or, or no way. And and I think that uh, guys, you know. This team has responded great to, to that, and and you know I love being able to have just those conversations, you know, real conversations with them about kind of what I need, and and, and we go from there. And, and uh, um, yeah, he's been he's been great with that. You've had a brace on all camp, Matt. Will you wear that all year? Yeah, I mean it's just kind of one of those things where um, you know a lot of guys kind of wear preventative braces anyways, and you know for me I don't think that it limits me in any way, and so. It, in my mind, it can only help or can only prevent something from else from happening. And so, uh, you know, for me, it's just uh, I got comfortable wearing it last year, and it's just you know, something I'm just going to go with now. You've been in a lot of training camps. How would you rate this one up to this point? Yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, uh, I think talent-wise is the the talented, uh, most talented group I've had from top to bottom at, at all positions. I mean, um, you know, you go out there, second, third group, or uh, you know, just doing an awesome job, and they're going to make it tough on on the staff and, and the coaches and, and front office on who to keep around here. And uh, I think we got some talented football players and, uh, you know, and then 
normal Winnipeg fashion. We've had some some rain days, some freezing days, some windy days. Uh, today was beautiful, so enjoying every moment of this one. In Toronto, history made. It was for the first time the Raptors clinched the Eastern Conference title to advance to the NBA Finals, and they will host Game One Thursday night. A roller coaster of a game. They were down big early. A 26 to 3 run capped off by an emphatic dunk by Kawhi Leonard. That was not the clincher, of course. Milwaukee rallied. They still had to pull it out. Toronto does 194. And now the, all the talk is about the Canada's team. Well, look at the TV ratings. Huge numbers for that decisive game six. 3.1 million viewers tuned in for Toronto's win. Saturday night, the previous mark of 2.2 million. That was the number of people, the average number of people who watched game seven of Toronto's series win over Philadelphia. That is big. Audience levels peaked at 5.3 million at 11.10 Eastern, just as Toronto was winning the game now, these numbers are still kind of behind the Blue Jays numbers when they were deep in the playoffs the last couple of years, but still, most watched NBA game in Canada ever. And this half hour, by the way, is all about the Raptors. And in Toronto is where we find Global Toronto Sports anchor Rob Leth. You can find him on Twitter as well, at Rob Leth. And Rob, what you witnessed Saturday night, did you ever think you'd see that moment in Toronto? Well, you know, in Toronto, it's not like Boston, right? Like, it seems like Boston, including tonight in the Stanley Cup final, has a team in the finals of like every sport every like one or two years. And here in Toronto, it's been a long time. Like I know the Argos have won the Great Cup. Uh, TSC uh, won the MLS Cup a couple years ago. The Toronto Rock have won uh, in lacrosse. But this is this is different. This is one of the three major sports, and we haven't seen anything like this in Toronto since 1993 when Joe Carter hit that walk-off home run and the Jays won back-to-back World Series. It's been a long time in this city, and to see the team come through, especially after falling behind 2-0 to Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals, just the way they battled back, it really is something. And the city literally exploded on Saturday night. Now, are you from Toronto? I grew up in the GTA. Uh, I grew up in Oshawa, which is about uh, you know 45 minutes east of Toronto, but I consider myself... A, a greater Torontonian. Okay, so where does this, I know this is just the finals now, and it, they haven't won anything yet, but where does what happened Saturday in this run rank right now in kind of the, the pantheon of Toronto sports in, I guess, the last half decade even? I, I would say overall, uh, going back to the Blue Jays again in the World Series in 93, that Joe Carter walk-off is number one all-time uh, in Toronto sports, uh, you know, I wasn't around for the 60s when the Leafs last won the Stanley Cup. But given what I've seen, Joe Carter's home run in 93 is definitely number one. I would say right now what the Raptors are doing is probably number two. Um, the Blue Jays' runs in 15 and 16 were pretty high up there. We had the Jose Bautista bat flip. We had the big home run from Edwin Encarnacion. But I would say, uh, you know, Kawhi's buzzer beater in game seven against Philadelphia is really what got the party started in this city. And then it continued against Milwaukee and Kawhi Leonard has, is just taken over the city of Toronto. Everyone wants him to stay now, but uh, I would say right now, number two, and if Kawhi can finish this off and do it in somewhat dramatic uh, style in the finals against uh, Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors, 
it will definitely challenge what the Blue Jays did in the early 90s. So in the 25 years of the Raptors, have they, where have they been in the pecking order of Toronto sports? Well, this is obviously a, a hockey town, a Leafs town. The Leafs are always going to be number one. Um, I would say right now the Raptors, uh, right now, if going by power rankings, the Raptors are definitely number one. Um, but I would say, you know, depending on how they're doing in the standings, I'd say the Raptors and the Blue Jays are neck and neck. But right now the Blue Jays are rebuilding and the Raptors are, uh, you know, on the verge of winning an NBA championship. So they're definitely number two in the city right now. And uh, like I said, you know, the Leafs are always going to be number one in Toronto, but right now uh, everyone's focused on the Raptors. I'm curious, the 9 p.m. Eastern start on Thursday, is that something people are, are kind of bothered about in Toronto? I think people are used to this when it comes to uh, to the NBA Finals. Uh, the one good thing is that, uh, you know, basketball games tend to be a little bit shorter than the hockey games. So, you know, barring, you know, 50 timeouts in the last two minutes, the game should be over by 11.30 Eastern, uh, preferably uh, 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock would be better. But you have to remember, too, this is the Golden State Warriors playing on the West Coast, and it'll be a 6 p.m. start time for them. So you kind of have to balance out. Fair enough. So uh, I guess what's this next couple days going to look like for you and then for the people of Toronto as they kind of just wait and wait till Thursday gets here? Yeah, it's it's really been a nonstop run for the Raptors over the first three rounds, going uh, you know seven games against Philadelphia and then six games against the Bucks. Uh, really, no time off. But I think this time off right now for the Raptors team is exactly what they needed, especially with Kawhi Leonard nursing uh, that leg injury that he's had. You know, it's hard to tell with the performances that he's had that he's hurting, but he's got that leg issue. Kyle Lowry uh, dealing with a sprained thumb. So, you know, just getting rid of those little uh, bumps and bruises is going to help this team big time heading into Thursday. They've kind of taken a couple of days off since the win against Milwaukee. They'll get back on the court tomorrow, uh, Wednesday's media day, where, you know, everyone's going to converge on Scotiabank Arena to talk to both of these teams, and it all gets underway on Thursday. And, you know, the excitement throughout the week is just going to build up day by day. So a lot has been made of Kawhi Leonard, obviously. He's the best player this franchise has ever had, and they've brought in a number of of either free agents or trades or undrafted guys like Fred Van Vliet. But Kyle Lowry is the long-serving member of this team. He's been here for, uh, I think, seven years or so. Well, how, what does he mean as the guy that's kind of been through all the troubles of the last bunch of years in the playoffs for Toronto for him to get this finals chance? Yeah, as much as this team is centered around Kawhi Leonard right now, uh, Kyle Lowry is the heart and soul of this team. And uh, you said it's seven years with this organization. Uh, the team wasn't very good when he first got here. And him and DeMar DeRozan together kind of put this team on the map, winning uh, you know division title after division title. But trading DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard uh, is the move that you know put this team over the top. And I think it was uh, Fred Van Vliet after the game uh, on Saturday night you know, Kyle Lowry's not one to generally show too much emotion, but he said that, uh, you know, Kyle will probably deny it, but he saw him tear up a little bit after winning that uh, Eastern Conference Championship. It's obviously a, a big moment for him, but, you know, he's focused now uh, on the Warriors and the, uh, the job that needs to be done in the finals. What does it say about this team that the highest draft pick they have is a 15th overall pick, which is something that's never been done before, that a team's got this far without a top 15 pick before? Yeah, it really is something because, you know, in the NBA, the draft lottery, uh, you know, one player can make such a huge difference 
for a team that only has five players on the court and seems like a lot of years, you know, if you get like a LeBron James, you know, in the draft lottery, instantly your team is, you know, a contender. So to have all these guys, you know, kind of develop and work their way up together, um, I think the whole team kind of has that underdog mentality. And, you know, even though they had one more win than Golden State during the regular season, they'd have to be considered underdogs in this series, um, you know, facing a team that's been to the finals for four straight years. But I think that's something that kind of bonds them together, you know, um, the bench is getting it done. Um, it's not just one guy as much as Kawhi Leonard has been doing. And it's just that team mentality, sharing the ball around, you know, all for one, pulling it, pulling on the same rope. And, you know, I think that's the kind of mentality too, that kind of takes over the fan base and really makes this a team that you love cheering for. Is Toronto ever going to get sick of Drake? I think everyone else is sick of Drake. I think the Toronto fans actually like the distraction. You know, if everyone's focused on Drake, you know, that's probably a good thing for the team. Um, I think the players kind of just laugh it off. And he's a big supporter of the franchise and, you know, part of the uh, the ownership group. And he has his name on the practice facility, the OBO uh, Athletic Center. And, you know, if you have a guy like that on the sidelines cheering you on and bringing attention to the team, I think it's all positive. And, uh, you know, even Smash Mouth now from yeah. Oakland is uh, starting to trash talk with Drake. So that's a, a bit of a war of words. I think Smash Mouth only had one song ever. So I think Drake would win that series in four games. I think you're, you're probably right about that, Rob. Well, I appreciate your time. And uh, I guess enjoy this next couple of weeks. It's going to be a wild ride for Toronto. All right. Thanks so much. All right, let's bring in Leah Hextall now. Leah, how happy are you that the Stanley Cup final is finally here? Oh, they're still playing hockey? I wasn't quite sure. I kind of had already forgotten about it. No, I'm uh, I'm just being facetious. I'm happy it's here. I think it could have came a few days ago, but that's just my opinion. But it's here, it's going, and, you know, we're at the 13-minute mark here in the first period between, what did you call them on Friday, Christian? Uh, the, the Bluins and Bruins. I really actually prefer that. I think some announcers could take notes from you about how to properly pronounce this final. <laughs> yeah, we all make mistakes. but uh, Yeah, we sure do. Uh, so, yeah, we broke it down in depth uh, on Friday show. And then, of course, earlier, oh, the Blues just scored. There you go. <laughs> Don't play okay, Gloria. Don't play Gloria. Because, uh, <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> Sorry to spoil that you. for you. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, so that's a good start for, for, for the St. Louis Blues. But uh, let's talk about there's other stuff in hockey right now. Uh, first of all, the Jets signing Lauren Persuade to a one-year deal. I'd reckon that this is his last year probably in Winnipeg. He'll price himself out, and then Mikhail Burden can come up and be the backup. Well, honestly, Christian, when I saw that news on the weekend, I was actually surprised. I thought that Persuade was going to test free agency. I think as we've seen within the NHL now, it is a league where backups are very important. It has changed the attitude that your starting goaltender plays all of your games. I mean, if you look at the two goaltenders that we're even watching in the Stanley Cup final right now, they watched the workload of Tuka Rask and then Jordan Bainton didn't really come in and take over the net until the new year. And we've seen and we've spoke about it before that you're seeing goaltenders and starters only play perhaps, you know, anywhere from, you know, 45 to 55 games if they're going to make it too deep in the playoffs. So I actually thought that Bersois might test free agency. So to RFA, me, though. That he, 
Well, yes, sorry. Yeah. But I mean, to me, it's just kind of the fact is that I just kind of felt that maybe he might take a look at things, but you're right. He's an RFA. So that's my mistake. But I just kind of thought that he might be able to get more than that, but that's just my opinion. So at 1.125, obviously that doesn't really affect the contracts of guys like line A and Connor and the rest, but it's still a small piece, but important piece of the puzzle for Chevy this summer. Oh, it's a huge piece of the puzzle this summer. And the fact of the matter is that what I would be interested to know is when they go into, if if they have to go into a restricted free agency situation, we saw this with Jacob Truba last year, it's actually the team that gets to decide how long the term is, whether it's one or two years. And I wonder if that played into Bruce time period that maybe he only wanted one year. And if he wanted to go into restricted free agency and actually see how that process went. The Jets could have locked him up for two years, even if they decided to. Maybe that would have played into his decision-making. But this isn't going to really – this is a great signing for Chevy. It's a good price point for him. I expect, to your point, that he'll go out next year when he's actually a UFA and go out there and see what's out there if he puts up the numbers again. You know, as we've talked about with goaltenders is that they can come in. They can have a great season, but can they sustain it? And, uh, you know, Connor Hellebuck got a lot of criticism this year because people said his numbers weren't as good. I still think he had quite a good season, not quite the Vesna caliber season, but quite a good season uh, in respect of to how he played. But I think Brissois is just a great signing for them. And now the real work begins, though, and it'll be interesting to see when some of these other contracts start to get locked up. Interesting. I don't know if you've been following what's going on between Minnesota and Pittsburgh, but there are a lot of talks about maybe sending Phil Kessel to the Central Division yeah. and it would have beefed up the Central even more, but he said, no, thank you, block the trade because Minnesota he didn't view as a contender, and so he said, no, thanks, and now Pittsburgh's maybe looking elsewhere. How does a player in that situation feel when he knows he's on the chopping block, but he's still got some control over the situation? I don't think that this is going to bother Phil Kessel at all. If we all can be honest, we've heard his name out there now probably for, if not for sure, this season and last season as a potential trading piece for the Pittsburgh Penguins, considering the situation that they're in, because they are in that situation where, you know what, as long as they have Crosby and Malkin, you know, Rutherford's always going to go out there and try to build a contender. And Phil Kessel is a part of that puzzle. I mean, he's a guy that has a lot of work. He's a guy who's going to put up goals for you. He is that guy. And he also, if you look at how many games he's played, he usually plays the full season. He stays very healthy. So, I mean, he's a great trade piece. And I don't think it's going to bother Phil Kessel at all. If you think of his career, has there ever been a time going back to Toronto where Phil Kessel hasn't had things being said about him? And I just kind of feel like he's the type of guy and everybody who plays with him, they all speak so highly of him. They say he's a great teammate. He goes out and produces on the ice. Yeah, he's not your traditional hockey guy. But at the end of the day, does that matter if he's going to put up 30-plus goals a year and be that perennial powerhouse when it comes to offense? So it's interesting to me. I look at that. I honestly thought that Minnesota might be something he might think of doing. You know, he has won a couple already. You know, what do you really want out of your career still just because of his connection from his college days with the Gophers? But uh, as you said, he has said, nah And uh, I think you could see the Penguins try to do a dance with somebody maybe even as soon as the draft. Finland in 2019 has won the World Junior Hockey Championship. They have, in the eyes of many, won the Women's World Hockey Championship, despite what the referees and IIHF <laughs> determined was no goal on the play. And now they have won the Men's Championship with a defensive win over Team Canada yesterday at the Worlds in Slovakia. What is it about Finland right now 
that lends themselves to world hockey domination? I think just the fact that they've caught up. I mean, I honestly, this is one of my beefs with Hockey Canada is I think as a nation, we're getting behind. I think that for many years, obviously, and I'm not saying that we're not obviously a contender all the time. I mean, Canada was right there in the final. And, you know, when you look at, you know, how many players weren't there actually playing for them for Team Canada. But Finland has really found a way to be able to get their players to play that style, which is successful. And it's that new game. It's the game we're seeing in the NHL. It's speed. It's finish. It's finesse. It also has some physicality to it. These aren't small guys not unwilling to throw around their bodies. And they can do it on the big ice surface because that's where they learn the game. And, you know, I honestly think as as Canada and Hockey Canada that we have to start really, you know, evaluating our grassroots programs and how we are raising our young players because I think Finland is now the future roadmap for what it means not just to win at the international level, but look at the players that they have within the National Hockey League. So many stars. Well, and none of them were on this team, right? This was a, f- yeah, a Finnish exactly. team that was, you know, no regular NHLers. Kapu Kaka will be next year. Don't get me wrong about that. But that's what makes it a little more astonishing is you've got a bunch of Yuri Lettinens basically on this team from the KHL <laughs> that come in and just grind it to a halt. Yeah, they they absolutely did. And, you know, and I, there was a really good point that I saw when you look at who they beat. I mean, it's not like they just came in and got lucky against Canada. They also beat Russia. I mean, they took down some international Sweden. powers. and they Yeah, and they did so without, the, as you mentioned, without a ton of NHL firepower. But that goes to my point, Christian, that I just think the way that these players are coming up through their systems, not our systems, not the roadmap that Canada as the powerhouse country of hockey laid out, but the way in which their coaches have figured things out and have made new roadmaps to how they create hockey over there and how they play the game is starting to be successful. And, you know, it comes back to the point where there's a lot of talk right now, but are we going to see more coaches from Finland and Sweden starting to come over and take NHL Mm. jobs? Because that's the next part where, you know, I think you're going to see some infiltration of them within, you know, let's say NHL day to day would be them coming over and starting to have a look from NHL organizations uh, to come over and coach these teams. Well, I remember what kind of a breakthrough it was when Jarmo Kekalainen took over the Columbus Blue Jackets and we saw the success they had at least to get to the second round this year. And maybe this is, is the NHL still viewed by those parties though as the ultimate end destination to get a coaching gig in the NHL as being the highest ranking coaching job you can get? I think for anyone, whether you're a player, you're a coach, or any part of the game, you always, no matter how much success that you may have in other areas or other leagues, you want to see how you stack up in the National Hockey League. I still believe that it is definitely the bar, and I believe that it's heads and tails over anywhere else in the world. It's the best hockey in the world. So I do believe that there is interest for them, but it all has to fit. Um, And, you know, I just don't know what the opportunities have necessarily been there because as we know with hockey, as much as we love it, it's a very kind of this is the box we fit in and we're not really going to open it up to anybody else because they scare us and the fear of the unknown. I mean, think of how much attention has been paid to the fact that they've brought in college coaches and how that's such a, ooh, oh my goodness, he's never coached in the pros and he's coming from college. So I think that that's maybe more so what it was is not that – 
those coaches don't want to come over and coach in the NHL. It's just that the NHL hasn't opened the doors to them yet. So do you legitimately think that Canada should be worried by not winning the gold medal? Absolutely. Because it's not just this. It's not just the world, you know, for the men. It's our junior hockey programs. You know, we are not the dominant force that we go into where we expect to see a gold medal. You can't say that as Canada anymore, that when we go to the world juniors or the under-18s or the Olympics, that we're going to skate away with the gold medal anymore, or for that matter, that we're even going to be in the final. I mean, teams have caught up. You have to look at Sweden and Finland and what they have done. And, you know, and on top of that, Krishna, I don't know about you, but I love watching them. I think the brand of hockey they play is a lot of fun. It's exciting hockey. It has everything as a fan you want to see. And you can't sit there and say, yeah, but, you know, the Canadians can exert their will on them anymore because they can't. Because the Swedes and the Finns and, you know, the Russians, they're all big boys as well. So, I mean, and it's not just in the men's game either, Christian. To your point, we're seeing this in women's hockey. We are just seeing it on an international scale because I do believe that they have surpassed us in the way in which that they are looking at the game, the way they're using technology perhaps in their games. And when you talk to a lot of coaches that are here in the NHL, actually Winnipeg Jets assistant coach Todd Woodcroft is a great example. He's done so much work on the international level, especially over in Europe. And he talks about just the fact of how much they've utilized the skill set of what we've taught them, but now they've taken it and they've flipped it and they've made it their own, which is proving to be very successful. And, you know, I really think it's time that Hockey Canada brings in some new voices, some fresh perspectives, and really starts taking a look at the way in which we play the game here in Canada. All right, Lee, appreciate your insight as always. Go enjoy the rest of Game 1 here tonight. I'll try to. Thanks so much, Christian. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?